Ba, 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 ba. I think you should start with that. <laughs> would, would that be random? Hello, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to season two, episode four of the Depth and Candor podcast. And I am your host, Hiwate Gitana. If you're just tuning in for the first time, this podcast is all about sharing stories that help us live vibrant lives from the inside out. Today, I'm talking to one of my favorite people in the world about how he came up with an idea for a nonprofit and took it from idea to reality. And since we recorded this podcast, the nonprofit has been incorporated and I am now one of its four founding board members. Yay! But I'm interviewing Gurmai for more than just the nonprofit. I wanted him on the show because he is one of the few people I know who does exactly what he says he will do. And I admire that so much because I've learned that sticking to your word is a powerful foundation for building a fulfilling life. Okay, let's go to the show. I am here with Gurmai Zahalai today, one of my favoritest people in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, am, I always tell him he's my favorite because he does incredible things and is super humble about it. And one of the most amazing things that he's created is a nonprofit. So I thought I'd have him on the show so that he could share how he started his nonprofit and share a little bit of his background, who he is, and um, why he's so passionate about this. Gurms, you want to take over? Absolutely. Is there a question that I can answer? Yeah. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> My name is Germay. I am an attorney here in New York City. I do mergers and acquisitions at a corporate law firm. But my real passions have always been in public service. So anything that helps people, low-income people, immigrants, refugees, uh, people who are disadvantaged in general, especially youth, that's what gets my heart going. Why? Because of my personal background, I grew up in Seattle, grew up in only public housing my whole life, and even lived in a homeless shelter once when I was young with my siblings and my family. And so seeing that education has been a bridge from one point in my life to another where now I have a solid career and I went to good schools. I know that if we provide mentorship and guidance to other disadvantaged kids, they can achieve the same. And so that's that's what gets me going and that's what I want to dedicate my life to. So you have created Rising Leaders, a mentorship program. Yes. Where I volunteered with you, it's a lot of fun to do. Mm -hmm. um, but what I find most interesting is that you're always really focused on finding, on teaching these students very practical life skills and things that they can use as they go to college, when they go back home the same day. Did you have programs like this when you were growing up? Or how did you even know how to start a program like this? Absolutely. Uh, I did not have programs like this growing up. My whole goal is to make education practical at, at the middle school level. Because when I think about the things that help me in my day to day as an adult, as a professional, it's not necessarily the math skills I learned when I was in middle school or, you know, how to write in cursive or all these things. And I'm not, I'm not discounting those things. I think those are great foundational things that kids need to learn, but I don't think they necessarily bridge the gap between their current education and what they see as necessary for their future development. 
And to answer your second question, how did I, how did I think of this program? Uh, my friend, a couple of friends and I were part of the Stanford Black Alumni Association. I was the co-president along with a friend and we did a one-off program at a school called Sojourner Truth here in Harlem. And it was a one-day conference for the kids to get some professional development skills. That day we taught them about how to dispel negative stereotypes and how to embrace positive positive aspects of their identity. So this is a school that's mostly black and, and Latino, um, has a lot of problems with math and, and reading and uh, very few of the students are passing their exams. So we wanted to make sure that they didn't see their identity as black kids, as immigrants, to mean that they couldn't achieve at a high level. So we did a program that helped them see themselves as very capable of achieving academically and professionally and getting rid of any stereotypes that they see on TV about what it means to be those identity uh, characteristics. Um, but after that, we decided that one-off workshops at a school aren't necessarily going to make long-term change for them. We wanted to uh, see the students more consistently. We wanted, we wanted them to be exposed to di various professional outcomes, and so we decided to do a long-term or a long-term partnership with that school, and that's that's how the program started. So you're a lawyer that works crazy hours. Yep. How in the world did you find time to think through the logistics of making this a standalone program? Um, I'm sure it took a ton of time. And then you also plan the workshops. So how in the world do you find time to do this? That's great. You find time where you can on the weekends, after work. Uh, it's I am working 99% of my life. That's it's. I don't say that to brag or anything because I think it's also great if you're able to find time for yourself and for the things that you enjoy. But uh, for me, I, I'm, I'm on a mission and I want to use every bit of time that I have to furthering causes that I care about. And I love being a, a lawyer and I, I think I'm getting a lot of skills from being a corporate lawyer, but as I told you before, that's not my passion area. This is a place for me to get solid training and meet great people, but it's not the place where I want to spend my entire career. So I knew that if I was going to be on a track where I wasn't pursuing, a, at the moment I'm not doing a career that I want to end up in long term, I knew that I had to do things outside of work to continue to sharpen my skills and to continue to give back or else I was going to become stale. You know, three, I'm three years into this job. I can't just go three years without doing the things that I care about. So um, I had stretches of time last year where I didn't have a free weekend for six months straight because I was involved in too many things on the weekend. So um, everybody has time. They just don't know it or they're just not willing to make the same sacrifices. But I think if, if you really care about something, you're going to find the time to do it. I agree with that. But I also think people who do a lot talk about how they do a lot all the time <laughs> and you never do you kind of like I see you either creating something like we're at a coffee shop doing work or I know you're off doing your own work or I'm seeing the product of your work 
<laughs> and you somehow also managed to make time for social setting, social outings and like hanging out with your friends. I get lit. That's right. You do it for the lit. gram. <laughs> you know, got to got to do a big. So that that is something that I struggle with because I have two modes. Mm-hmm. I am either working and always working mm-hmm. or I'm having fun and I don't want to think about work. Right. How do you balance those two things? Having fun and working? Yeah. <laughs> and like making time for both of those things. Oh, that's a good question. I think I think it's uh, my law firm has kind of has this culture where when you're working, you're on and you're not leaving the firm for, you know, there are, there are days when I stay at work till 6 a.m. until 10 a.m. And I don't mean that I got in at 9 a.m. and I'm leaving at 10 a.m. I mean, I got in at 9 a.m. one day and leaving at 10 a.m. the next day or just not leaving for three days in a row. So this it's it, it, when you're on, you're on. And but when you're off, the firm also has a really fun culture where people go out drinking together and have fun together and do various activities. So that that lifestyle is has been a microcosm of my own lifestyle, which is that when I'm working People probably don't see me for a week, two weeks, three mm. weeks straight where I'm just in the office and I'm texting people back saying, sorry, I'm not going to see you probably this month. Uh, but when I'm off, you know, I'm on vacation, I'm having fun, I'm with my friends. So it's it really is. I, 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 I take enough vacations and I take enough trips and I hang out with my friends enough that I don't feel emotionally and psychologically drained so it's, um, I wouldn't call it a balance. Your question kind of assumed that there's a balance. There's no balance. It's, it's either one or the other. And I, I, I'm still figuring out the balance myself. But you do touch on something that I think a lot of other people struggle with, which is sometimes I'll be hanging out with friends thinking I should be working. Yeah. And do you struggle with that at all? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm getting better at that now where I know when to go home. That's that's oof, that's that's the biggest tip and takeaway for, for all millennials. That's a major key right there. <laughs> and I know you know about this because I'll be hanging out with you sometimes. And out of nowhere, you're like, no, I'm going home. And <laughs> yes. there is no taking there's no convincing you. There's no swaying. Right. Because you've already picked up that major key. And that is when it's time to go home. It's time to go home. Right. We all have those nights where we want to go out. We want to have fun. And, you know, you're at the after party. Then you're at the after after party. And you're just seeing if the night is going going to go somewhere that it hasn't been already and you you get FOMO and you're you're afraid of missing some great thing there's never some great thing it's <laughs> <laughs> if you if you already saw your friends you already hung out a little bit go home yeah get your day started early tomorrow yeah don't drink so much that you're losing an entire day of productivity okay so first let's talk about rising leaders let's yes. talk about the logistics let's talk about how you connected with the principal of the school in the first place and how you maintain a relationship with her. And then I want to get into the mindset of Gurmai Zahawai, because I think that is... You don't want to go there. That's a dark place. (laughs) I think that's what's so interesting about you. You are probably one of a handful of people that consistently has a winner's mindset and a leader's mindset, which might be the same thing. Damn, I'm never this nice to you. Say one more good thing about me. (laughs) So let's talk about Rising Leaders first. Okay, so Rising Leaders is a professional development program for middle school students. 
essentially what, what my friends and I saw are that there's two groups of people in New York. We have probably thousands of young professionals in New York who are transient. They're, they're here for a short period of time. They're not involved in their communities. They don't feel integrated, but they have a desire to be integrated in their communities. And on the other hand, we have students who don't have enough mentors. So I wanted to, I wanted to bring those two communities together. So the, the goal is, you know, the, 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 the far reaching goal that I'm nowhere near yet is to have, make sure every student in New York from disadvantaged or low income backgrounds who are racial minorities, for example, have mentors. And so far we have a, a partner school, how we got that partner school. And once our term as presidents of the Black Alumni Association ended, we didn't want to stop doing this program. We found that our mentors like Hiwate or Hiwat, depending on what she likes to go by (laughs) today, (laughs) who is one of our mentors is just one great example. She's enthusiastic about mentoring. And by she, I mean you, depending on who I'm talking to. (laughs) You're the worst. So yeah, uh, I love I love mentoring. You love it, right? It's, it's so fun. It's great. It energizes you. It, it reminds you that there are people in New York who aren't just like your day to day in your office. Um, just the most brilliant kids, and I honestly mean just the smartest kids at these schools. When you talk to them, when you see what they're able to do, their level of maturity, and yet you look at the statistics for their school, five percent of the students are meeting state standards for math. 8% are meeting state standards for English. That, and that is, at this school, that's, that's significantly lower even than the locality, mm. even if you compare it to Harlem or mm-hmm. their neighboring school. So this school is really underperforming, and yet you meet the students and they're brilliant. So you know there's some kind of disconnect there. And, and if, if we are able to come in give kids mentors, give them exposure to various professional outcomes. So in four years from now, when they're graduating from high school and they're looking at their pool of potential letter of recommendation writers, I, I hope that they can say, whoa, I, I know I know Hiwate. She can write a letter of recommendation for me. She's known me for five years. So you are telling us how it went from this one-off program mm-hmm. to you saying, like, I want to create a mentorship program that's longstanding. Yes. What was the first thing you did? That's a, you know, that's a great question because whenever I think about people who have, start, who have started uh, companies and organizations, I always wonder, you, you always tell us about your passions and where it is now, but you never tell literally what was the first step that right. you took. Like, what is an action step that <laughs> yeah. I should take if I want to follow in your footsteps? Absolutely. That's a great question. First and foremost, you have the idea, right? And um, ours was we wanted to provide mentorship at local schools. Um, second, you have to have a team of people. You have to have people who share your vision and finding people who want to help kids and who want to tutor and mentor, that's not hard to do. There are tons of people who want to do that. So once we started recruiting people uh, to be mentors, then we then we had not only an idea, but a team of people who would execute the idea. So that's the first step. You just send idea, emails to your friends or send, what? Send emails to my friends, um, 
tap into networks where I know people with that mindset exist. So that that's how I just message people on GroupMe, email people, uh, talk to people in person. That's how you recruit the team. Um, second, you have to have a partner school. We were lucky that we had a contact at a partner school. If if I didn't have that contact, the way I'm expanding now because I don't have contacts at other schools is to think through my other networks. I have friends who are teachers. One of them, uh, I've reached out to all my teacher friends and said, are you able to get your school to partner with us? And 99% of the time, the answer is yes, because they want people who have varying professions to come into those schools, especially if the demographic, racial and background demographic of those mentors matches the students. So if your student population is mostly black, we can provide you black mentors. And and some people will say that shouldn't matter, but it 100% matters. Absolutely. You know that. Yeah. Uh, maybe some of your audience won't, but, <laughs> it's, fine. but it's, it's true. Um, facts only. Facts only. That's right. <laughs> so we, we talked about the idea. We talked about recruiting a team. Uh, we talked about expansion. Um, and this is you and the, uh, the, your co-president. My co-president, yes. Um, and slowly, as we do more workshops, we start to see which mentors are consistent, which seem to be more, mo- the most passionate, and which seem to be the most uh, competent. And so we, we've been, uh, I've been reaching out to key mentors and asking if they want to join the board as we think about incorporating and becoming, an, becoming an official nonprofit. And so, you know, that, that's, that's how I've been able to grow a, a core team in, in that way. Um, oh, here's, here's another very, very concrete thing. Mm-hmm. Logos. Yes. Right? Oh, how to find the, the name, those types of things. There's a website called Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R.com. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can pay $5 and get a logo. Next to do. Next to do. Okay, so we, what, what have we covered so far? The idea. And, and also, I just want to stress that the, the, the stage where we're at right now we're, we're not like some big official nonprofit that has gone through rounds of fundraising that has an official board and all this stuff. So I think it's valuable to hear this story because we're at a stage that anybody can do. That's exactly why I wanted to talk Anybody to can do this. Literally, you find an idea that you're passionate about, you find like-minded people, and you just do it. The world opens up when you find like-minded people who are passionate about something. And so it, to the extent that this is valuable to listen to for, for whoever's listening to this, that's great. Just hopefully you don't think that this is some big operation that's happening. It's no, I don't think success necessarily needs to be big or fancy True. in order for it to be valid. True. I feel like I've done something. And if people listening, if you followed me on Instagram or you watch my stories, you always know when I'm done with mentoring because I can't stop talking about it for <laughs> like a <true>. day. <laughs> There's these amazing children who... Like, I definitely wasn't that smart when I was Mm -hmm. in fifth, sixth, seventh grade. Mm -hmm. This kid put together a comic book in like 20 minutes when I asked him what kind of art he likes. So it's like, I don't think you need to be this big bad company or this big bad organization for what you're doing to be valid. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So uh, I have a step now that's not necessarily sequentially next, but it's something concurrently that I should have said before. When I'm thinking about the skill set that I that I was able to bring to this, it's that I've done mentorship and mentorship programs 
a lot throughout my life in college, after college. So I was able to bring that to the table. So when we're thinking about the workshops that we plan every two months at this school and multiple schools in the future, uh, I was able to tap into that past experience for. So when you're thinking about uh, a a nonprofit or an organization that you want to start, you should not only think about what you're passionate about, but you should also think about what you have experience in and what you what skill sets you can bring to the table. Mm, that's a really good one. Yeah, a, a skill that I've noticed in you that's like very distinct for you is you communicate very effectively. Oh, thank you. So people have said this to me. Some of you um, might have been the ones who've said this, but on Facebook, after the elections, you put up a status about what you think we should do next, right? So that was a controversial one. (laughs) But no, if we keep going. Very well, very well put together, right? So like you thought through all of the different ways that people must have felt Mm -hmm. in order to in order for our country to be in the position that it's in now. Right. And you articulated that in a way that not everybody liked, right. but made your point very clear. Right. You do the same things in the emails that you send us when you say, we're going to have a mentorship um, workshop in two weeks. Yep. Here are the things that are coming up. Right. I'm assuming you do the same things when you reach out to new schools or when you try and expand any idea. Right. So what are the things that you're thinking when you're putting an email together? Uh, For communication in general, the biggest thing, in my opinion, is knowing your audience. You can be uh, phenomenally articulate. You can be super academically intelligent. But if you don't know your audience and you don't craft your message for an audience, then you've lost. Mm -hmm. This is a a good example is when you go in front of a bunch of, you know, fifth grade kids, sixth grade kids. You don't want your vocabulary to be geared towards an audience that's uh, a bunch of lawyers, for example. Right. Which is which is what I'm usually speaking to. Right. Uh, When you are talking to your mentors who are all super busy professionals who have all kinds of things going on. You don't want to write in big block paragraphs Mm -hmm. that they have to decipher and and unpack. You want to have what I, what I, I'm sure you've noticed this in my emails, but if I have a long email, I'm not just going to write the long email and assume people are going to take the time 10 minutes to read my entire email. I'll say mentors. I have some things that I I really need for you to respond to this. I am summarizing it in bullet points below, but please, when you have time, read the rest of the email. So I'll say, these these are the things I need from you. One, blah, 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 blah. Two, X, Y, Z. Three, and so on and so forth. And then I'll dive into my email. I found myself trying to speak like myself all the time. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with molding what you're saying to fit the person that's listening to it. And I, for a long time, I felt like, am I being inauthentic by doing this? You Mm. know, it's like when people go into job interviews and they're like, I'm being, I'm too stiff or like, I I don't like job interviews because I have to be too professional. It's like, no, you're going into a professional environment. Yeah. You can be professional. And you know, you're a multifaceted person just because you highlight one face of that doesn't mean you're being inauthentic. Absolutely. So this brings us into mindset. So it sounds like as you interact with people. Oh, I didn't I didn't finish my stages. My bad. Let's go back to your stages. <laughs> okay, this is the very last one. Okay. The last one is 
actual incorporation and becoming a nonprofit. Mm. Haven't completed that yet, but currently in the process, it's been a lot of fun. It's uh, because to take something from an idea into an official organization, that's something I've dreamed about my whole life. Mm. Even even separate from the mission and the cause and the passion of helping kids, just the idea of nurturing something and growing it into something official is very exciting. So the way uh, I was able to do that is bringing in my law firm as as a partner. And I'm very excited that I was able to you tap into the resources and infrastructure of a big corporate law firm to help with this because a lot of people think that the corporate world and the nonprofit world and helping the world versus profit motive those should be two separate things but if you're able to bring them together i think you can do some very cool things so they took us on as a client and they assigned two attorneys from my law firm on it and they are now drafting the charter and the bylaws and you have to present them with what your mission is they tell you they ask you who the the board of directors is going to be and a lot of it is temp a, a template mm -hmm. you know w w how often the board has to meet uh how the board selects officers uh all all of those good things but once you do that you're able to fundraise which is a very big one so it's uh it's an exciting time but if if it, my advice on that front is find a friend who's a lawyer at a big law firm let them take on your organization on a on a pro bono basis which means you don't have to pay for anything and they they can take you through it so what if i'm assuming a lot of people might say like oh yeah i have a friend who's a lawyer but that friend might not want to take this to their firm yeah so can a lawyer help you like would that be helpful in and just like having just a access lawyer to a lawyer as an individual yeah. rather than institution i think i think that's possible for sure but in that case they might have to have experience in that field whereas if you go to a law firm even if the individual lawyer doesn't have experience they have a whole a whole host of resources to support them in knowing how to do that process so when you're thinking about expanding and growing do you get intimidated for me the intimidation comes from failing <laughs> not from succeeding i'm super excited by the idea of this becoming big and helping as many students as possible and giving as many young adults as possible the opportunity to become integrated into their communities and to give them an easy way to give back to their local communities so when I think about it getting big and multiple schools becoming a part of this and recruiting lots of awesome people to be on the team, that uh, there's nothing more exciting to me. But the idea of letting this sputter out and not seizing the opportunity to make this as successful as possible, that's terrifying to me because this is, this is my passion. And I know this is a lot of other people's passion and if, if, if we're able, if, if we squander this, then I, I know that's on my shoulders and that's, uh, that's a scary idea. A lot of people, myself included, have just like, will stop when things seem intimidating, right? So like the, the idea that you might fail keeps people from doing so many things that they want to do, right. from applying to schools that they want to apply to, jobs that they want to get, For sure. ideas that they want to conquer. 
what do you do when you feel intimidated or overwhelmed by an idea? Uh, I know that I know that that's the idea to go after. Oh, really? I, I'm dead serious because I think I've I've heard this these quotes before, but they say if if you keep being successful at the things you're doing, that means you're not stretching yourself far enough. Mm. And I 100% believe that. That means if if you keep succeeding, that means you're not pursuing things that are slightly out of your reach. That means you're not going after your full potential. And I know I know the things that I that I want to do are beyond what I probably can do right now, but that's where I need to be reaching. When I think about the things that I'm applying for right now, they're usually things that I shouldn't be applying for for another 10 years, <laughs> but I, I need to do that. I need to get that experience and I need to test my limits. So when, when that thought of like, oh, let me just go and watch The Office instead of doing this. <laughs> You're getting personal now. <laughs> no, that's you, what I do. <laughs> that's, that's, how liter- that's how I spend every night watching The Office. <laughs> So how do you not, so let's say you do that for an episode, then yeah. do you feel bad enough that you're like, I have to do this thing? Or how do you get yourself out of inaction? No, I, I don't feel bad about that because I need that. I need to de-stress. I need to get my mind off things. Do you have, what, what's your go-to show when you come home? and you, The Office, that's why I'm saying this to you. What, did I know this? Yes, and you do this every time. I know because my memory is stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. So you watch TV or whatever. <laughs> I don't even know what we were talking about now. <laughs> no, you were saying you de- you don't feel bad because you're I de-stressing. I don't feel bad because I need to de-stress when you're just on your bed eating potato chips or whatever, hot Cheetos. Uh, Takis. <laughs> Takis, so whatever is your thing. That's, that's the time for your brain to recharge. Can't be active all the time. But something happens in your brain that doesn't happen to everyone else's where you say, okay, now it's time for me to take action. Yeah. Because there's a big, I don't know if you notice this, maybe if you think of like people in your life who say they want to do lots of things, mm-hmm. but then they stop at a certain point. Mm. There's a difference between that person and the person who says, I'm scared, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right. What do you think that is? That's a good question. You have to find your internal drive and not everybody has to be like this. You know, there, there are people who, who find their purpose from spending time with their family and relaxing and enjoying the weather outside. And that's perfectly fine. Mine is from going hard in the paint and trying to do as much as I can. And that's, that's, that's my motivation. And I know every time that I, that I, uh, that I waste a weekend or, or, or an evening, the back of my mind is just saying, there's somebody else out there crushing it right now. And you're, you're behind, you're behind. Absolutely. Me too. You you feel that way too? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, I shouldn't compare myself to other people. I know. That's just do my own thing. It's so bad. It's so bad. Yeah. But I I think there's also a piece that I don't know if you're not saying it because you don't know this about yourself, but I think the piece is that. You about to tell me something about myself? I'm about to read Give me that read, girl. (laughs) Um, I think you know that you can do these things. You have a deep belief that you can make this happen. Even Mm. if you are afraid, even if you're intimidated by an idea, you have to know that it's a real possibility. For sure. Because what's intimidating is, and, and I think the reason you know, especially at this point, is that you've done very difficult things. You went to Stanford, you got into Penn Law, you got the job you wanted, you keep succeeding at the things 
the very difficult things that you keep going after. So I think you have enough proof for yourself that if you go for it, it's done. That's the problem with going to Stanford and Penn and all these places and being in New York surrounded by all these professionals is no matter how much you yourself have done, there are a hundred other people who you, you can look at Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And, and again, like you said, comparing yourself, comparison is the thief of joy. But there's never a point where you feel like I have arrived, arrived, yeah. right? No matter what you accomplish, you're seeing other people and you're like, wow, they, they work twice as hard as me and they have accomplished things that they should not have accomplished at their age. So for me, I, I don't look at the, I don't look at graduating from a, a good school or, or starting a nonprofit or working at a law firm. I don't see those things as success. I see them as foundations for success. So I don't feel like I've arrived yet. I don't feel like I have done anything that anybody else can't do. I just know that I have, I'm about at 20% of my potential and I need to go for the rest. I love that so much. <laughs> and I see, I anything you tell me you're interested in doing, I'm like, all right, like I'm excited to help you get there because you're obviously going to get there. Um, Thank you, Hugh. Yeah, I got you. So let's talk about your mentors because mm. you're really into mentorship. Love it. But you also said that you didn't have the easiest upbringing. Nope. Who were your earliest mentors? Who are your mentors now? And how did you connect with them? That's a great question because when I think about not having either parent go to high school or college, they are my mentors in some ways. I, I look at my, my parents and see some of the most hardworking people that I have ever met in my life. And you could probably say the same about yours because when you come, when your family comes from across the world and faces persecution and arrives in a country where they don't speak the language, where as they say, I came with $7 in my pocket my dad had, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and like walked across a desert yeah. barefoot, like all their stories, you know, you, you have to take it with a grain of salt, but I'm sure <laughs> a lot of it is true. Uh, when, when you look at that, there, there's no way you could compare what they've accomplished to, to what you've accomplished. Um, so in that sense, I look to them and say, wow, they have overcome tremendous obstacles to allow their children to have a better life. But at the same time, they're not going to give me advice about which college to go to, about what career to pursue, about how to invest my money, uh, or uh, any of the things that I imagine a lot of my peers who aren't the ch children of immigrants or, or who come from more well-to-do backgrounds. Uh, I, I imagine that those parents are able to convey certain things to their children that my parents aren't able to convey to me. So it's uh, all that being said to say that it's very important for first-generation college students to find mentors in other places. And so my mentors have come from different programs that I've been involved in, from school, from jobs, and you always find the mentor based on the chemistry you have. For me, it's very difficult, no matter how accomplished the mentor is, to have them become my mentor if we don't have some chemistry. Yeah. And you feel it instantly, right? You meet somebody, 
somebody older than you and the conversation just flows. You have common interests. Uh, they have some common background or some identity trait that, that allows you to be more open with them. And so that's what I've looked for. I've looked for the people the people who I who I feel those affinities toward. Uh, to Do give you me. reach out to them and say like, hey, I really admire you and your work and I want to, like, how, what do you say? Once they are already my mentors or before they... When you meet them and you're like, I really admire this person and we connect really well. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I do reach out to them uh, after that. So one example, my my current mentor at my law firm, she's a partner. She's a white woman. So, you know, it's not always somebody who's the same gender or race as you that becomes your mentor. But we had great chemistry. She's a corporate lawyer. She's the head of private equity at the firm. But she's very, very, very interested in politics and governance and nonprofits. And so we've been able to bond over that. And whenever I get a chance, I come by her office and I talk to her about my interests. And that's how our relationship has formed. I think people have this tendency to say, if, if I'm in my workplace, the only thing I can talk about to my, the people above me is work. And if you do that, you'll sell yourself short because... Again, I said this before, but people are multifaceted. If you're able to touch on a topic that they are passionate about and you're able to find that authentically and naturally, they will feel an instant bond with you. And so I my recommendation would be don't be afraid to th talk about your interests. So this is all amazing. How can the Depth and Candor audience and how can I support you? That's a great question. <laughs> If in New York you have a contact at a public school or a public school that is in need of attention and you feel confident that you can help us develop a partnership between rising leaders in that school, please definitely reach out to me. If you live in another city and you feel like you have the time and the desire and the competence to run a program and we have all the materials for you, we could set up a phone call. I would love for this to expand to other cities and other states. Um, just reach out to me. So if, if, if you fall into those two populations, if you can get us into a school or you want to mentor or you want to run your own program in another city using our materials, those are the three types of people that should reach out to me. And if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Instagram at Germay. That's G-I-R-M-A-Y at Germay, G-I-R-M-A-Y. Awesome. I'm so happy we, we recorded this podcast. You, I tell you this all the time. You're one of my favorite people. You're one of my favorite ever. people. Um, but I can't wait to see what you do with your life because you have a very kind heart and you have the competence and the capability to do whatever you want. So I'm excited to see what you do next. And I get to say that I'm the first person that interviewed you. Am I the first person that interviewed yes, you? Yes, you are. Yes. <laughs> Nobody else found me interesting enough, so thanks for taking this broke kid off the street. I'm super happy about this uh, podcast episode. You're the best. Thank you, Hugh. I really appreciate it. And I hope this podcast grows to have millions and millions and millions of listeners. Thank you. Ah, that was such a fun episode to record. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got as much out of it as I did. Everything we talked about today is in the show notes, which you can access by clicking on the image on the podcast. 
And if you like this episode, subscribe on iTunes and please rate the show. And if you want more than just the podcast, go to depthandcandor.com and join the insiders list so you can get invitations to in-person events, new videos, and personal life lessons. And if you want to keep up with me as I try to live my best life, follow me on Instagram at H-I-W-O-T-E underscore G. Okay, talk to you next week.